Well, good morning and happy 4th of July weekend. I'm so grateful that you're here with us and hopefully this weekend you get to spend a little extended time. You have a little extra day off or two that you can spend with family and friends and, and just enjoy the weekend with one another. We're, we're looking forward to spending time with our in-laws or my in-laws, not Jamie's. That's actually her parents. And I have to say that because they're here this morning. So no, we really are. We're looking forward to spending some time with them coming up over the break. But speaking of families... I uh, realized, I was brought to my attention after the last time I preached, that new preachers, or new pastors when they come, when they preach, are supposed to show pictures of their family. And I have failed to do this, and have preached twice, and haven't done it, and so I like to say, third time's a charm. So here's a picture of the Wheezy Poppy family. So on the far right is my wonderful wife, Jamie, and we've been married for me 13 wonderful years, about three or four for her. And um, behind me is our son, Samuel, who's six. And on Jamie's lap is our youngest daughter, Ella, who's two. And uh, at my feet there is our four-year-old daughter, Annabeth. And they've been a great joy and wonderful to have and, and really enjoyed parenthood and, and being with them. But sometimes I look at this picture and I, I think about how maybe almost it didn't happen. You see, when Jamie and I met, we met our sophomore here at Texas A&M. And I, uh, through the course of my freshman year and that first summer, is when I really kind of made that turn. I made that shift where I'd kind of been riding the fence in my spiritual life. And I really made the decision that, Lord, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to live sold out for you. And so through the, through the ministry and the love of some of my friends, we came back and they got me plugged in here at Grace. And they got me involved in Cambridge Crusade for Christ. Now, it's early August. We've just come back. I have no idea what came with Crusade for Crisis, but these friends take me to a meeting. And it's at that meeting that I meet Jamie. And immediately, I am smitten. I'm sold. I'm like, okay. They're, they're, we're setting things up, and we're trying to plan things. And they're like, we, we have a freshman picnic coming up, and we need an MC. And I said, I'll do it. I have absolutely no idea what this organization is or what it stands for, but Jamie is giving out door prizes, and I will get to spend tons of time with her. So I will MC. I'm your person. And I mean, I was just anything I could to spend time with her, I would do. And we'd go to crusade meetings and I'd, and, and I mean, you know, Jamie's looking at me and for me at this point, I mean, I'm a spiritual Neanderthal. I mean, like my knuckles barely clear the ground. I'm so new in my faith and, and what I'm, you know, trying to do and, and live for God. And, and Jamie, I think the worst thing that she ever did growing up was stay up too late reading her Bible at night. You know, there was this big, vast difference between us, okay? And so I'm asked, I'll go and I'll say, so, uh, hey, Jamie, you know, can we do something together this weekend? And she'd be like, yeah, you know what? Some friends of mine and I, we're going dancing. How about you come with us? And I'm like, no, I don't want to go with your friends. I want the two of us. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of all these ways, and she's so stealthy. I'd walk on campus, and I knew where she lived, so I'd purposely walk by her dorm, and I'd call from downstairs and say, hey, I just happen to be in the area. And she'd say, well, yeah, go ahead and come on up. And then I'd spend the whole time talking to her roommate. I mean, she did this great job of avoiding me. And so finally, we're coming up. It's almost about two months of this going on. And so finally, one night after crusade, I'm just kind of sitting there. I'm like, okay, all right, I can do this. So, so Jamie, you know, maybe if you didn't have anything else in the world going on, on Saturday night, maybe, just maybe, we could go have dinner and then go to a movie and that would be it. 
So I thought if I put like these safe parameters on it, surely she's got to say yes. And sure enough, she did. And I was like, yes, this is great. So the next, the next day is Friday, and um, my roommate, Steve, who's a big hunter, is like, hey, Jason, it's getting a little late. Bird season, you know, it's, it's not going to be so good. So why don't we take a trip down to Pearsall, Texas, and let's go bird hunting one last time before the semester really gets going and, and we really start getting into t- t- rounds of tests. I was like, I don't know, Steve. I got this date tomorrow night with Jamie. Now, the date is set at 8 o'clock. My wife is a good ag, and it was the day of the Rice home football game, and she wasn't going to miss it. So we did have that little parameter. But I was like, okay, as long as we are back by 7 o'clock on Saturday, we can do it. He's like, no problem. We'll hunt the morning. We'll eat lunch. We'll come home. It's great. So we go out Friday night, hunt the morning, nothing. It was terrible. It was hot. No birds. I wouldn't fly either. So we eat lunch, and Steve's like, look, we drove four hours. We came all the way down here. We have nothing. Let's try the afternoon. I was like, well, you know, Steve, it's a four-hour drive. And he's like, look, we'll leave by 3 o'clock. We'll be home by 7, get a shower. No problem. I was like, well, okay, Steve. And so we go out there, and on the way out the door, I'm looking at the clock on the wall, and it's a little after 1 o'clock. And I look down at my watch, and it's 1230. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So I, I go on and I forget about it. I don't think about it. I just let it pass by. And so we're out in the field and nothing. So Steve and I are just talking, catching up. It's great. I look at my clock. It says about 1.30. And so I'm like, we still got plenty of time. I look at my clock again. It's about 2.25. And I'm thinking, gosh, that's kind of going by. It's a little bit slow. And I look at my clock again. It's 2.45. I'm like, man, I feel like we've been out here for a long time. And we talk a little more. I look at my clock. It's 2.45. And all of a sudden, I had this sinking feeling (laughs) because I had forgotten how slow time was moving. And because I wasn't paying attention, I instantly realized that my watch is dead and doesn't work. And it had been slowing down. And so Steve and I grabbed everything. We raced the truck. Now, remind you, trying to be back by seven. So a four-hour drive. It is now 5.15. I have two hours and 45 minutes to make it back for this date that, that, I mean, it has taken me forever to set up because I've forgotten, because I've been paying attention, all this has happened. And and I don't want to tell you how fast, I don't even know, but Steve and I are racing back as fast as we can. We pull over an old dime box and Steve is like, Jason, we're not going to make it. I was like, we can get there. We'll be there by eight o'clock, Steve, you can do it. And he's like, well, Jason, you stink. I got to tell you, you've been in the field all day. You smell real bad. And I was like, we can do this. Fill up with gas. I go inside, Dove Palmolive soap. I'm in the bathroom, big wash basin sink. I'm washing. I'm like, we can make this happen. I grab my clothes that I'd worn the night before up there. I put them on. I'm like, this, I am not missing this date. Sure enough, Steve and I, 8.05, we pull up at Jamie's apartment door. And we go, and I'm like, hey, Jamie, Steve and I were out doing a few things, and we're just going to drop him off real quick, and then we'll go. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, and everything. But when I think about my forgetfulness, when I, when I think about the way that I wasn't paying attention to things, I mean, it almost had some pretty severe consequences. I mean, it took me almost two months to get her to say yes to one date. If I was late and missed the second date, would she have ever said yes again? I have no idea. And I look at those children and thank God they look like their mother. And I'm like, repercussions could have been big. 
But what I want to talk to you about this morning, something I want to bring to you is something that if we forget, if we don't pay attention to, has even bigger consequences, has an even bigger impact than what I was facing. Because the consequences, the impact of forgetting this and passing over it, not only affects us, but it affects our friends and our families. It affects our children. It not only impacts everything, these things, families, friends, children, and stuff now, but for generations to come. One thing that's often forgotten and overlooked, and that I'm talking about, is not really a thing, it's a person. It's God the Father. It's the first person of the Trinity, often known as the forgotten member of the Trinity. I remember a, couple, a number of years ago, eight or nine years ago, I was working with one of my professors at Dallas Seminary on, on you know, helping him with his notes and redoing this whole section, and we were going to teach it um, down in Brazil. And so we're putting all this stuff together, and I was excited that he asked me to do this. And I went back to my library, and I, and I had tons of books on Jesus Christ. And I had a few books, a little less, on the Holy Spirit. And had absolutely none, maybe one or two, on the Father. And in fact, when I went to the library to look, hundreds and hundreds of volumes on Jesus Christ. A little less on the Holy Spirit. And almost none on God the Father. I mean, we often don't think about God. We, we, we often live in thanks and gratitude for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Died and rose again from the dead. We give thanks and ask for help from the Spirit to help guide us and stuff. But we rarely ever give thought to God the Father. But it has such a big impact on us and who we are. But we understand that the God is Father. We see throughout the Old Testament. We see in numerous times in the Old Testament, God, Theos, over 1,300 times. uh, Designations of just God as Father, over 250 times. Yet we rarely think of Him at all. We see certain passages, God the Father in John 6. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1. The glorious Father one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Father of light, the Alpha and the Omega. We see that God is Father, yet we never think of Him. We usually spend our focus on Christ and the Holy Spirit. But is this even really such a big deal? I mean, why should we even think about this or this be part of what we think of and as far as what we conceive? Well, the reason why it's such a big deal is because it overall informs of how we understand God and who God is. It informs us on how we worship God. But even beyond that, it informs us as fathers, and those of us who will be fathers, on, on what it means to be a father. It allows all of us to look and understand our own earthly fathers and who they are and the way that God has made them and developed them. There are so many implications in this, but rarely we ever pay attention to it. So as we talk about and we discuss with who God is, a lot of times we have to reconceive fatherhood for people. Because here's the thing. For us, the link between our heavenly father and our earthly father is undeniable. A lot of times I like to say that we sit back and we think and we study the scriptures and we say, here is how God the father has presented himself to us. So this is how I understand my own father. And this is how maybe I should understand myself if I'm a father or I'm going to be a father Or how wives should understand their husbands. But rarely we do that. How it usually works is we take a look and we note and we perceive our earthly fathers and who they are. 
And a lot of times that's what we step forward and informs us is how we view our Heavenly Father. So if, why do we think or why do we see or how is it that we see that a view of our earthly father impacts our view of our heavenly father? Well, there's a couple things. First is, think of it in a cultural context. You know, when you think of Africa and you think of like a tribal father as a tribal chief or one who has, has a reign or dominion over many, that many times it affects their view of father. Or you think of in the Middle East, take for instance like in Jordan, where 15% of fathers in Jordan have more than one wife. They have several wives and several families. How might that impact their view of father and fatherhood? Or think about Indian culture. Think about um, Chinese culture. Where oftentimes in these cultures, the relationship, the distance between father and daughter is very distant and very disconnected. How might that impact their view as family? Think about how a father is portrayed in Western society and in media. Oftentimes the father is conceived or perceived or is presented as being aloof, as being disconnected, as sometimes as being just a complete idiot. How do those things impact our view of father? And finally, consider some people's experiences with their own fathers in their own home. If you had a chemically addicted father, an alcoholic father, it plays a big view on how you view God as Father, or if you had a father that was abusive or harsh, how does that impact your view? Or we have many families that come through separation. There's a distance between the father, either through divorce or separation. How might that impact one's view of father? Think about in the United States, where we constantly begin to live more and more of what we call a fatherless society. Currently, right now, over 40% of youth in the United States live without a father in the home. 27 million children, 40%, live without a father in the home. Now these numbers are actually a couple years old, and I would guarantee you that the numbers have only increased since then, not decreased. 75% of children that come from one-parent homes will most likely see poverty before the age of 11 at some point in time. When they took a survey and they looked at fathers in the lives of criminals or people who became criminals, this is what they found. 42%, basically their fathers were unknown to them. They were alive, but they had no idea who they were or where they were. 6% of their fathers were also in prison. 5% were deceased. 9.5% lived in other cities. 12.5% lived separately in the, in the same city. Only 25%, actually less than 25%, actually lived where they had a father at home. And that becomes difficult for the way that we conceive fathers. Moreover, when we look at and we see who a father is at home, oftentimes fathers are portrayed or they're perceived by the media or where we are as uninvolved, they're unfaithful, and many times they're often irrelevant. However, sociologists continue to show and continue to prove that the role of the father in the family and his investment in the life of his wife and his kids have a direct impact on the way they understand things morally, intellectually, the way they understand things about their faith, the way they understand their education, the way that they develop uh, emotionally, the way they develop spiritually. All these things, a father has a significant, profound impact in the life of their children. And if we think it's any different in the Christian community, 
when you look at the home, you know, Barna shows that in a home where the father is an active believer, participates in the community, about 75% of the children in the household actually become active believers. If you remove the father from that picture and then go to a household that only the mother is actually a uh, active believer in the household, that number drops from 75% down to 15%. The father has a profound impact in the life of the family. So the image of our father has a lot to do, doesn't it, with the way that we perceive God as father. So a lot of times when we talk about God as father and we discuss God as father to other people, a lot of times we have to basically reconceive, we have to reconstruct what that means for people. Because instead of looking at our earthly fathers to show us our heavenly father, what we really need to do is look at our heavenly father and see the way that he's revealed himself to us to inform our earthly fathers and understand them in that light. So one of the first things we have to do is, well, ask ourselves, well, who actually is God a father to? To whom is he father? Well, in Exodus 4.22, first thing it shows us is that God is a father to Israel. Matthew 3.16-17 says this. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my Son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. So we see that God the Father is not only a father to Israel, but he's a father in a special way to the Son. In another sense, God the Father is a father to all believers. As Blake read earlier, Romans eight fourteen through 16 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So not only is God a father to Israel, not only is he a father in a special way to Jesus Christ, and not only is a father to all believers, but he's a father in many different ways. He says that he's a father of glory. He is the father of angels in the sense that, that they are sons of God, as we're told in Job. And he again is also father to the fatherless. So in some way, in some sense, as the creator of all things, he is father to all. Psalm 68.5 says, A father is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. So we see how he is father and to whom he is as father. But as father, how has he revealed himself to us? How has he made himself known? What, what do we understand? And to see that, we have to look a little bit into what the Bible tells us are the character and the roles of God the Father. And the first thing that we see, that he is creator. He is what we use as a Latin term is the fons divinitatis. He's the divine fountainhead, the one from which all things flow, the one from which life comes forth. John 5 tells us that the Savior says that the, the Father has life and has given life you know, to the Son, and that he also is life. You know, The Son says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And we see that the Spirit has life as well. 
So those are realities that they have life, yet the Father in a particular way is seen as the source of life for everything, even as through the Son and through the Spirit. He is creator. The second thing we see is that he is the sovereign ruler of all things. Many of us are familiar with Ephesians 1 where we see from the Father that it comes to the decree of God and how the, the elect are chosen and that grace comes to us through Jesus Christ and that we are sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But also in some sense, the Father is seen as a transcendent ruler of all things. He stands, he is free, he stands apart and above his creation. He doesn't need his creation. He's not, he's, not, he's not bound by us. He's outside of time and space and history. Yet as Father, he chooses to step in and to love us and to show his love in an exceedingly graceful way where he brings his grace and his mercy. He freely allows us to come to him in an extraordinary way and he allows us to call him Father. So why he is transcendent ruler, he's also the Father that loves in grace and mercy. And allows us to come to him and call him father. Third is that he's holy judge. Or, or as Peter tells us, the Lord chief justice of the universe. He's the moral absolute of all things. He's the one that exists in approachable life. He's the one by which all things are measured morally within our world and in our existence. And all things that are, that are contrary to his divine nature have to be brought to justice. So he is, he is creator He is the sovereign ruler. He is the holy judge. But at the same time, and one of the great things that we serve in a Trinitarian God is why he is these things. He's also the one who is the compassionate reconciler. Many times we think of John 3.16 when we think about this, right? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-19 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. So God is the one who takes initiative. While he, he is hostile to the world and sins and must bring judge to those, he loved the world. He loved it so much that he gave Christ, his one and only son, to be the payment for our sins, to satisfy his wrath against us so that we could be ultimately reconciled to God. I mean, of course, we see that Jesus Christ is our substitute for sin. It's the spirit that applies Christ's work in our lives, yet it is especially by the Father that we are called to salvation, that we are forgiven by him sending the son for us, that we are justified through the works of Christ, the Son that He sent, that we are made sons and daughters, that we are adopted as heirs, and with whom we are brought into fellowship and brought into service. This is profound benevolence on the part of our Father God. And finally, the last thing I want to point out to you is in 1 Corinthians 15. It's an extraordinary thing where we read, And we see that not only is God the Father, the divine fountainhead from which all things come and flow out from, but at the end, he's also to which all things return. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Then the end will come when he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he, Christ, has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. 
He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that he does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him, to put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Wow. I mean, this seems to be in great distant future, but we see that the Son is reconciling and bringing all things back to the Father. And still the Son co-reigns with the Father and the Spirit in perfect unity, in full Trinitarian unity, to be all in all of who God is. So we also see there are other analogies. We see that there's the potter and the clay. God, Yahweh, is the potter and we are the clay. The king and the kingdom, he is the husband and we are the bride, the wife. He is the master and we are the servant, the vine dresser, the true vine and the branches, the shepherd and the sheep. Yes, Jesus is the good shepherd. But also the Lord says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So we see all these things and how God has revealed himself to us as father. But how does that serve as an example to us? As the way that we view ourselves as father and the way that we view our earthly fathers. The way that we understand our husbands and in their roles. Well, as creator, as sovereign ruler, as holy judge, as the compassionate reconciler, as him to whom all things return, as the potter, as the shepherd, as the husband, as the father. I have a few examples that I want to share with you this morning. As God reveals himself this way, his characters and his roles, and that we see him as father, how does this inform us? Well, the first thing we see that God as father is profoundly good. So fathers should be men of goodness and integrity and purity. When we live in such an age where ease of access to things on the internet or by our iPhone or iPads and the ease of accessibility of these things, even more so are we called to be men of goodness, of purity and integrity. The second thing is God the Father is eternally wise, so fathers should be thoughtful, wise, plan well for our loved ones. We shouldn't be as, as the media and the culture can sometimes portray a father, one who's, who's distant and apart from his children, the dad that sits there texting on his phone while his kids are playing over here, or the, one, the father that's always on his phone driving in the car while his kids are in the back seat. We should engage and be engaged in the lives of our children because from us, we need to help them find and develop their purpose. We need to help develop and show in them a strong faith. They look to us for this wisdom and this involvement in their lives. The third thing is, while embodying absolute truth, the Father is infinitely creative, and fathers ought to encourage new and fresh ways. Our Father, as creator, is creative. Look at the platypus. That's creativity. Holy cow, that thing looks like a bunch of spare parts. But God, in his divine being of who he is, created that thing. (laughs) He is creative. And we shouldn't always be with our children saying, do it this way. This is the way that we've always done it. But allowing them to be creative. I have three kids. One night, a couple of months ago, Jamie went out with the girls. So I had all three of them at home. Okay, and wives, this might be a little secret to you. And men, sorry for revealing this to them. But when you go out, there becomes a point in time in the night that we have the kids that we go, okay, 
I've got to make it look like I am competent while she is gone. Meaning, I've got to get the house back in order. Yeah, I've got to get everything back where it was. I don't necessarily have to be better than when she left, but it can't look like this when she gets home or I'm in big trouble. So I'm with the kids. I'm like, okay, Samuel, Annabeth, Ella. Okay, right here, little TV show. I know TV's not the babysitter. We don't do that, but daddy's got to clean. So you guys watch, focus. Annabeth, watch your, your sister, Ella, okay? Little TV, daddy's cleaning. Daddy's all over the place. Daddy's in the kitchen doing the dishwasher. And in comes Samuel, and he's like, Dad, and I'm like, yes, son, how's it going? He's like, okay, so they uh, showed a little bit of blip of the, the weather on the TV, and I just want to let you know that tomorrow it's going to be partly cloudy, it's going to be in the low 90s, and, um, but after that it should clear it for the week, reaching the high 90s, and, and be uh, sunny for the rest of the week. And I'm like, great, thank you, son, I appreciate that, Daddy will plan accordingly. And so he goes out, and I'm like, good, way to go, son. Well, then Annabeth comes in, I'm still trying to clean. Yes, honey, well, Daddy, I was just wondering... You know, like, what if a unicorn flew through a rainbow? Would it get all those colors on its horn? And she twirls out. How do you answer that? I mean, what do you do with that? I have absolutely nothing. But she twirled on out. Well, in comes Ella Grace, and she's got this block, and she's like, whap, ha, 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 whap, ha, ha, ha. She's just laughing. So I have these three kids. So I have the, the concerned, the, 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 the planner, the, the it's all together son, and then I have the, the dreamer, and I have a world of my own daughter, and then I have the comedian. It's like I have these three kids, all three different personalities, but my job as a father is not to try to make them all be the same thing. I'm not trying them to get them all to conform to one standard and to be exactly alike. My job is to look at them and the uniqueness and the way that God has created them, the way that he has made them, the way that he has molded them, and encourage them in those ways. Each has their strengths and weaknesses, and it's great to watch them complement and see the things that they do. Back to the clicker. For as the Father loves the Son, so we are to truly love our children Talking and listening to them are essential. God so graciously loves us as Father so much that what did He do? He gave His own Son for us. It's unbelievable. And as fathers, we need to provide an environment in our homes where our children find a secure love, where our families find a secure love in who they are as love given by the Father. The father listens to the son. The father responds to the son and the Godhead. So just likely we should be the same with our own children. Fifth thing, as God disciplines his children, so God the father guides and disciplines his children, not harshly, but firmly. God disciplines us. But why does he discipline us? Well, he disciplines us out of love. And that's the way in which we should discipline our children. Children without discipline will grow up with great resentment because they want that structure, they want that discipline. But discipline that comes out of love, like the Father does for us. Sixth, as God the Father calls for respect, so fathers ought to act in such a way that requires respect, not out of pride, but in dignity. Seventh, as the Father leads in the Trinity, so fathers should bring order and direction. We're to lead in our families as men, not like dictators, 
Within the Trinity, within the Godhead, we see each member self-giving and sacrificing in love for the other. And that should be the mirror, that should be the picture within our own families. The eighth thing, as the Father is self-giving toward his creation, especially persons, us, so the Father should be characterized by generosity and sacrifice for others, for his family and for others. One way I see this playing out too is not only self-giving within our own family, but also to others and those around us. The slide I showed up earlier, as you recall, we'll talk about that 40% of children in the United States are in a, grow up in a fatherless home. That would be me. I would be one of those 40%. And my father and I went through a, a time in our relationship that, that we just really didn't want to have anything to do with one another or talk or spend time with one another. Now, that greatly changed over the years. By the time Jamie and I got married, he actually was best man in our wedding. So our relationship is much different now. But there was a time where it wasn't like that at all. And my parents were divorced and um, there was no father around. And I am forever grateful for two men who stepped outside of their own families to step into my life and said, this son is not my biological son, but... I will step in and and show him the love of the Father. And I am so grateful for that. And it's had an immense impact on my life. That number of 40% will only grow unless those of us who are fathers look to those who don't have fathers and step into their lives. I want to encourage you men that have children of your own to look at your children's friends and see, is this a case here? Somewhere where I can maybe step in. It doesn't take a ton of time. These guys didn't spend a ton of time with me, but they were very purposeful in what they did. And it was huge. I want to encourage you in that way. So as we come to a close, as we see these things, there are two questions I want to ask you. One is, how is God a father to you? And also, how does he work in your life as father? These are two very important questions because how you answer them, what you say about them, is a reflection of how you view God and how you understand God, which has implications on the way that we worship God. It also informs us of how we should look and understand our own earthly fathers. It informs us of of how we should be and how we should interact as fathers to our children how women, how you should understand your father, how you should understand your husband's role as father and what that looks like. And while you think about those, I also want to make it clear, I want you to understand that no father can be a father like God is father. God the father is perfect. He is without sin. He he is not dependent. Where us as fathers are immensely dependent on God as Father. We should be looking and seeking Him to inform us as how we should be fathers. And so for those of you who maybe grew up with a, a negative thought, emotion, perspective on fatherhood, turn to God the Father. He is perfect and complete in who He is a Father. He is perfectly good. He is eternally wise. He, he loves unconditionally. He disciplines in love. 
He draws his people to him. He sacrifices and gives himself for them. He is perfect and complete as father. Turn to him. And if you happen to be on the other side where where maybe you grew up with a great father, a wonderful father, who did these things for you and revealed himself this way to you as father, get on your knees and give thanks. Give thanks to God for giving you that kind of father. Give Call him up and say thank you. If he's here with you, tell, turn and tell him thank you. Because increasingly that's not the case as what we see. But give thanks for those fathers. Our father is complete and he is good and he is great. He's the creator of all things. He's the one from which all things flow out. He is the sovereign ruler. He is the holy, perfect judge. And he's the one that compassionately reconciles his people to him. And at the end, he is the one to whom all things return. So as we end today, I think it's uh, perfectly appropriate uh, that we would stand together and that we would recite the Lord's Prayer, the, the, the one prayer that our Savior himself taught us to pray. So I'd like for you to go ahead and stand with me and let's recite together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for how you have revealed yourself to us. That you are the creator, the fountainhead from which life comes forth. You are the one who who is the ruler of all things, over all history, space, and time. But yet, you step into your creation with all grace and mercy. That you are the one who brings justice. You are the one who, everything that is against your nature has to judge. But at the same time, you are compassionately reconciling your people to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and raise again from the dead for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, as we see, as as time and things come to an end, that all things ultimately return to you. And because of this, we can see that you are a God who is infinitely good, And because of that, may we be fathers and have fathers that are infinitely good and pure and men of integrity. We see that you are eternally wise. May we be husbands and fathers and people who have fathers that are eternally wise and have wisdom and give guidance. Thank you for your unconditional love to us in our lives. May we be recipients of that and pour that grace of unconditional love out to others. Lord, thank you that you are one who disciplines in love. That you discipline us because you love us and want us to come back to you. Lord, thank you that you are the one who sacrifices. You are the one who listens. You are the one who gives of yourself as with the Father and with the Spirit and with the Son. That you, we see in the Trinity, a self-giving love, a self-sacrifice amongst the three members. The three persons of the one Godhead. 
And Lord, may we be men. May we have fathers who are self-giving, self-sacrificing of who they are. Lord, thank you so much for this picture. Lord, forgive us that we sometimes forget. (laughs) We sometimes look past. We sometimes remain so focused on Christ and on the Holy Spirit that we forget you as Father. All three equal members of the one Godhead, the Trinity. Father, please allow us to bring these things to mind, to apply them in our lives, that we may take how you show yourselves to us and have that impact us as we understand our earthly fathers or how we should be earthly fathers, how we should understand our husbands as father. We pray these things in the name of your Son, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much, and we'll see you here next Sunday.